Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome once again to our Bible study. Thank you so much for tuning in. I uh, hope all is well with you and yours. Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer before we really get into our work today. Our God, I just want to thank you so much. I want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you for this people, this community that we're building. I ask you to give them all your peace, give them all your strength, give them all your courage. Show them your way. Show them how to live peaceably, lovingly, how to take care of folks, how to have unity, and how to just really make sure that we make this thing called following you contagious. Not serving ourselves, but understanding that there's so much more inside of us that you have given us. And we thank you for this gift. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I'm really excited to talk about James 4. I don't know if y'all could pick it up already. I really like this book a lot. <laughs> but I'm, I'm excited to talk about it because it feels so relevant. And that's really going to be the aim for every scripture that we go through in this Bible study. It's not enough for me to just talk about it just for talking about its sake. I want us to really explore how can we apply this scripture. Like It's cool to just have it as an idea or as some sort of like, oh, wow, this is a really good conversation. But if it's not changing our lives, then what's the point of it, right? Like, there has to be some sort of application. And I really feel like James 4 in particular helps us with the application. It's really, uh, you know, I feel like I could just call this, you know, I've talked about it in previous uh, weeks that I don't really have a, a full title for each one of them. But this week, I feel like it's very clear. The title just jumped out to me um, from the scripture itself. It's resist the devil, right? And it feels like something you've probably heard um, if you've been on that type of time your whole life. And if it's something you're like, yeah, wow, I'm holding new to this whole like faith thing and no one's ever talked about it like that before, just really understanding it in terms of evil, right? Like all of us, regardless of your social location, have a sense of something being right and something being not right, right? Whatever that subjective right is for you. Like all of us have that, right? And now we're coming into the sense of a community understanding of what it means to do things right or not right in the eyes of God through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we're really getting into the specifics of what it means to do right, meaning doing things that please God and doing something that's wrong, which means doing things that don't have nothing to do with God. But what does that mean, right? When we're talking about doing things that have nothing to do with God, because it's not as if all bad things are obviously bad. That's what's so difficult. That's what makes this so challenging. I'll put it to you this way. I think human nature is such a thing that you could be doing something so good. Good in the sense of like it's a good thing you're doing and good in the sense of like you're really good at it. Right? So you're doing something so good. That just by virtue of you doing the thing well, the potential for mission drift into doing it in an evil way is right there. Hear me out. You could have the best soup kitchen in your city, right? Everybody who needs food knows they could come to your soup kitchen. Your soup kitchen is clean. The food is hot. There's ample place to sit. You are taking care of folks. All that energy has to go somewhere. You and I may be able to testify to what it feels like to receive a smile or a compliment or word of thank you from someone. All of that has to go somewhere. If we keep it for ourselves, 
It's too much. We're not wired to hold all that gratitude just in and of ourselves. So people saying thank you for the soup. Oh man, y'all had minestrone this week. I loved it. When y'all gonna bring back that navy bean? That was good last week. You've taken all that into yourself, but you're not distributing it anywhere. All that energy you've taken in from people saying thank you, the smiles, the the appreciation, you hear the mm -hmm, the, the the spoon hitting the the bowl. All that you're taking it in, but you're not releasing it. These are all good things. It's good for people to be grateful for a meal they received. It's good for people to appreciate the community that's happening at the soup kitchen. But if you're keeping it all within yourself and you're not redistributing it, you're not saying, oh, listen, man, we brought in this, this new chef. He's amazing. Oh, yeah, the sister that put together all the, uh, the, uh, the Canva posts so that y'all could see it uh, around the neighborhood, she's amazing. If you're not redistributing it, you're just holding it to yourself, it's too much. If you're not taking it and saying, you know what? We just do this by the grace of God. It's God that gave me the vision for it. It's God that, you know, made everything possible for us to rent the space to get all the spoons and the plates and the bowls and the napkins and the seasoning and all the materials. I thank God for putting it on so-and-so's heart to donate the meat for the soup or donate the veggies for the soup and donate the broth. All that stuff is happening. If you're not redistributing the gratitude, but just keeping it for yourself, something as good, as altruistic, and as on its surface, on its face, pure. As running a soup kitchen that's successful, right? And by success, meaning that you're feeding people who otherwise presumably would have nothing to eat. Even that, if we're not redistributing the gratitude, if we're not giving the gratitude to where it belongs, if we're not giving the praise to where it belongs, even something as good as that can become bad. Thinking about what it means for us to treat ourselves as the end and out of means to giving the glory to God. It's important to make this distinction. When you and I are dealing with each other as human beings, we should not treat each other as means to an end, right? So I shouldn't be talking to you with this sort of sense of I'm only talking to you because there's something I'm going to get from this. Right? That shouldn't be how we deal with each other. And it can become very transparent and very obvious. Right? We call it, you're using me, or you're trying to use that person, or you're hustling them, right? whatever it is. It's, you're trying to finesse, depending on where you are. Right? All of that is not good to try to use people, to try to treat people as if they're a means and not ends in, in, in and of themselves. That's different than what I'm talking about when it's coming to our understanding of being a conduit between. Whatever is happening and God. So I have a big accomplishment in my life. Or I'm healed. Or I came into some money. Or I came into a new home or a new car, new something. Right? My kids are blessed. Whatever the situation is. If I'm not redirecting that energy toward God, I'm offering to you this evening that there's a problem. The gratitude and the glory and the praise, it has to go to God. Almost thinking of it as like inverse lightning, you know, like if you pay attention to um, science or like a thunderstorm, you know, it's like lightning, unless it's like the intercloud lightning, right? So try not to mix metaphors here, but when lightning strikes, it's trying to find the fastest way to the ground. That's what it's trying to do. So we got to treat our praise, our glory, the gratitude that we've been given from others. 
like it's inverse lightning. We're trying to get it up as, as, as quickly as we can back to God, right? Just saying that sense of up because, you know, that's most people that you're putting up when they, you know, you hit a home run or like Steph Curry hits a three or something, he's putting up like, there go God, right? You know, you're not pointing. Like, honestly, you could be pointing this way and be like, thank you, God. Not like pointing at me, but pointing at, you know, the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? Like that could be the new wave, but that's a whole nother aside. But just thinking about what it means when we start keeping that gratitude inside of us, we can't handle it. We weren't made to hold all that gratitude, going back to the first image of that soup kitchen. Now you're just feeling like you're the best person ever because you made this soup kitchen. Everyone's clocking you and saying, oh, you're the best, you're the best. Can you be on the cover of this paper? We want to do this episode with you, blah, blah, blah. We want to give you the key to the city and keeping all this inside of you. You're never expelling it and giving the gratitude, the glory, and the praise up to God. What happens? You ever had a large meal and just that became sort of your rhythm? I'm not talking about like a cheat day, right? I'm talking about going back to, you know, you're eating like a like a like a a teenage boy who plays sports or something. Like you just knocking food out. After a while, what once was an extraordinary amount of food becomes your default plate, right? It's hard to go from doing that on a regular basis to just like cold turkey. Now I'm going to cut my plate in half. I'm going to eat that and save the rest. Your appetite increases. But if this is something that we aren't supposed to really handle in the first place, all that gratitude just for ourselves, all that glory just for ourselves, all that praise just for ourselves, it now starts to change us in a bit. Where that amount of glory and gratitude and praise becomes the norm. You're supposed to get that all the time. But this is not something we were meant for. This is not something we were built for. It's not normal. It's not, dare I say, human for us to be able to handle that wave, that magnitude of praise and and adoration. It's not a healthy thing for us. So what happens? James 4, and especially I've been reading the message translation on on this uh, quite a bit to prepare and i really like the way eugene peterson translated this line he says you lust after what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it think about how on surface on, on its face that seems like an outrageous thing right you may say my goodness i'm not like that but then you think about Especially if you take time, I encourage you to even pause right here and go read those first five verses of James 4 and tell me it doesn't feel like it's describing capitalism as we've lived it. It doesn't feel like the free market as we live it. This sense of I've got to have it and I'm going to get it. And it may not seem as like brutal in the most directions of I'm going to like, you know, rob this person and kill them. It may not seem like that. But we're, th- we're not necessarily thinking about all the passive ways in which we've caused harm to other people. So, making it plain, thinking about the ways in which all of us are accustomed now to prime days. Like, everybody's locked in. It's prime day. Oh, I got to order, blah, 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 blah. I read something the other day that said there are more. Amazon Prime accounts than households in the U.S. 
like that many accounts. What does this mean for the local businesses? What does it mean for the workers who has been documented? They just had the whole uh, display of them fighting to get unions in Amazon a couple years ago. What does it mean for the workers who have to work in humane conditions so that we get what we ordered same-day delivery? What does it mean for us to do engagement in all these things that make our lives easier, yet turning a blind eye to how it's making someone's life hard? Like I like to eat fruit. I eat a ton of fruits. Every morning I'm eating stuffing fruits in my in my, my smoothie, uh, my blender, and, and making some sort of smoothie. How often am I giving thought to how the fruits got into the container? Right, do blueberries hop up into plastic containers? They sure don't grow in plastic containers. Someone had to pick those berries. Someone has to pick bananas or oranges or whatever the fruit, the apples, right? You name it. These things don't just happen. We jump onto the highway because it gets us from point A to point B. We don't think about the communities that had to be destroyed in order for this highway to exist. In order for us to have a convenient way of being. And that's why I think the danger is, is in us putting our sense of access, our understanding of what's most efficient, our understanding of what's the best thing over God's understanding of what the best thing is. Because I imagine, it's something I, I, I dream about and I, and I invite you to dream along with me, is this understanding of God's economy. An understanding of how we all ought to be, how we all can treat one another without exploiting each other. You know, that's one of the main criticisms I have of our age is that so many people, especially within the American context, are dreaming of getting rich. We're just one lotto ticket away, right? Or they want to be a billionaire or something to that level. And we're not necessarily thinking about putting in safeguards for around our own heart so we won't be willing to exploit people just to secure this dream of excess. We don't think about what it means to have so much that it starts to change you. Like, Are you going to be comfortable having that much knowing that there are people who have nothing? And what are you going to do about it? Will you have a passive response? Will you say, ah, oh, it's out of my hands. That's, that's someone else's fault. It's the government's fault. Well, I, you know, I just got this money. Like, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? There has to be some sort of response that takes us away from just hoarding all of that gratitude, all of those resources, all of all that stuff, really, inside of ourselves. And we find a way to redistribute it in a way that ultimately gives God the glory. So we get away from this understanding of it's all about me and moving into an understanding of it being all about God. Something I wrote uh, in my notes looking at James 4 is this understanding of any time our will is greater than God's will, it's infidelity. We're not being faithful to our relationship with God. 
if I'm so locked in on what I want to do, I'm not trying to hear anything about what God is saying. I am hurting my relationship with God. In the same way that if you and I are in an agreement with each other and you start doing things that goes against the agreement, the agreement is getting weak. We're not really rocking with each other in the way we're supposed to. And you may hear that and ask, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> right? Because there's so many things that we think are just really good things. So how are you supposed to know? How am I supposed to know that this desire I have, you know, this, this good thing in my mind I have, isn't God's will? And I would argue and offer that the best way to determine that you're staying within God's will is in constant interaction with God. How are you going to, in the same way, how are you going to maintain any sort of relationship that we have here in the human space? Or even with your pet. If you don't interact with that other being, how strong can the relationship be? If you and I never talk, we never see each other, we never interact with each other, how strong can the relationship be? So making that uh, um, equivalent to how you interact with God, if you're starting your day and going right into whatever that thing is you want to do, right? The phone is the first thing you grab. And you're scroll, scrolling and checking, oh man, what did they say on, on the timeline last night? <clears throat> or you're starting your day and you're immediately just engaging with something that's, that's taking you away from what you understand God is trying to show you, right? You're, you're drawn toward the negativity in the world. You're drawn toward the, like, the gossip in the world. You're, you're checking your numbers and all this other stuff. How are you supposed to know? So yeah, I just really want us to think about that. What does it look like for us to focus in on our, our will versus focusing in on God's will? And it's reminding us all to let God work God's will in us. It's a journey. It's not microwavable. It's not an instant process. But really listening and seeing what is God saying to me in this moment? Letting every single decision Every single day, be filled with prayers, asking God for wisdom, asking God for clarity, asking God to give us peace about certain about decisions, not even certain decisions, just decisions. Involve God, communicate with God, give thanks to God. Nothing's too small to thank God for, right? There's an extra chip in your potato chip bag. Give God some thanks, right? It doesn't matter what we're going through. Use every situation as an opportunity to praise. I have found, even in the most difficult times I've been in in my life, in the hospital, in intensive care, that each of these spaces, no matter how confining they are, there is still space for praise. There's still space to say, God, I thank you. Because even though I'm in intensive care, and even though the report from the doctor is bad, or the report financially is bad, or the interaction I had with a friend is bad, or whatever the, the crisis is, I know you are keeping me. 
the fact that I'm here to even say anything is evidence of how good you are. So give God thanks. And moreover, what I really appreciate about James 4 is it helps us understand the importance of having humility in our planning. <clears throat> I'm really over, and I pray I don't demonstrate this, this whole sense of whatever the thing is, I got to be the star of the show. I got to make myself some sort of main attraction. I pray my prayer for, for myself, my prayer for all of us is that we're able to invest a deep sense of humility in our planning. So we're not saying, oh, it's definitely going to be like this. But understanding that it is God who allows us to see every single day. And every single day we wake up is a gift. So giving God thanks for that. And I say, oh, next year, 2024 is mine. I'm, I'm locking it down from pillar to post. Now nah, you have to understand how critical humility before God, the one who made us all, truly is. And to saying, God, I know this is what I want, but help me to make my desires align with your will. So you're not saying, God, change your mind. Or God, I want you to like sleep on it and come back with a different answer. It's about asking God to shape you in a way that makes the things that you want like what God wants for you, what God desires for you, what God has planned for you. And I believe God is faithful and will take the desires of your heart and start to change it. Maybe those of you who've been journeying with God for some time can testify to this. The desires you once had earlier in your walk, they're just not hitting the same way. They're not as important to you, not as relevant. It's like, this is just an example. I remember 15 years ago, I loved buying a lot of juice, right? Like if I went shopping, I was going to come home with like a whole bunch of bottles, like mad bottles of juice. Like I loved, loved, loved juice. And over the years, I started to wean myself off of having that volume of juice. Now, occasionally, I might have a, like a sip or so, but not, and I'll make my own juices at home, like I'm about to boil some pineapple tea after this. But thinking about the way in which when I was in my real like drinking juice days, if I had an apple, it didn't taste as sweet as that juice tastes. If I had some strawberries, it was cool, but it wasn't as great as some strawberry kiwi juice. And how, after weaning myself from drinking a lot of juice, the fruits I enjoy are sweeter. Oranges have never been as delicious to me as they have been since I don't drink orange juice all the time like that. <laughs> Ironically, today I had a a glass of orange juice <laughs> for the first time it felt like in years. But being able to say, you know what? I'm going to make this specific change in my life. I'm dedicating myself to something greater than just mere wants. And watch your life start to transform. It all goes back to that whole sense of understanding how our habits are little stitches in the quilt of our life. And thinking about 
how we can't really turn that off. It can't be something that, you know, you're trying to live a life that pleases God sometimes, but then over here you're not doing it. It can't be something where we're so focused on, you know, being like a good person, quote unquote. But anytime we get a chance to really disrespect somebody, we're going for it. We have to get to the point in our understanding and our walk that disrespecting one another is disrespecting God. Because every single person we encounter is made in the image of God. That you can see God's fingerprint on that person. So who are we to disrespect the creator by disrespecting any of the creator's creations? That's, that's not something we should engage in. You know, it's not something that really should be a part of us. That's why when I think about it, it really stems down to our understanding of selfishness, self-importance, putting yourself first is really an evil thing. And something that we have to disabuse ourselves from and really move into a sense of understanding is so much bigger than just about us. I hear and I see it on the timeline all the time. All this language of like manifesting. It's like the universe is manifesting and all this, this understanding. And, I, and I'm here to say today, lovingly, that it's demonic. It's not of God. Because anytime we're talking about fulfilling our plans is a top thing, or our will being done as a top thing, we've now put God at least second, if not lower or not even on the chart. It's about. Seeking God's plan for our lives. And not just singing these worship songs that you don't mean, where you talk about, Spirit, lead me. <laughs> if you don't mean that, why are you saying that? Because if the Holy Spirit's really going to lead you, then at the same time, you need to be praying, Lord, show me how to want what you want, how to care about what you care about. Make my heart like your heart. Because otherwise, we're not really living what we're rapping about. There's a dissonance there, and it will show up, you know? Lastly, I like how James 4 talks about sins of omission, right? At the end, it talks about understanding that it still counts when you chose not to do the right thing. Sometimes we think of sin simply as an understanding of, like, I did the bad thing. Knocking the mic all over the place. <laughs> I did the bad thing. We don't think about it in terms of, I withheld the good thing. So my prayer for you as we close is that God shows you the purpose that God has for your life. And that God takes your heart, takes your desires, takes your wants, and infuses them with God's purpose. There's a reason you've been doing the things you've been doing for so long. It may just feel like a hobby. You may just look at it like, I can't get no money from this. Why do I keep doing this? Right? But it could be your purpose. So ask God for clarity. Ask God for a deep love for the things that God loves. And to take away the desires that God didn't give you. And I believe confidently that in doing that, no matter how difficult the journey of you trying to follow God, Will be, not could be, but will be, that God will give you God's joy, God's peace, 
goodness, and mercy all the way home. Much love, y'all. I want to thank you so much for rocking with me this evening. Um, yeah, I just want, I just am grateful uh, for you listening, for watching, for subscribing um, to Substack. And I hope you're doing well. Hope you continue to do well. And, and please uh, leave a comment. Let me know how I can be praying for you. All right. Much love. Talk to you soon. Peace.